0: Hi everyone, this is Tim Gordon, I wanted to release a debrief of my death penalty and feminism debate to you, Patreon patrons, first, and after that I will release it generally. First up a very, very big thanks to all of my patrons, I really appreciate you guys, and without crowdsource funding, without you in particular, I think you already know this, Doing what I'm setting out to do with Dave and Chris, the Retrogrades, would simply not be possible. And it's, it's new for me, and it's an honor. Everything over the course of the last year is new for me, even though I've been a writer for a while and a speaker. It's a new level, and I, I'm, I'm genuinely appreciative. So I wanted to release this first exclusive content. There will be many of these debriefs or, or private musings or whatever on the Trent Horn debates that, you know, took place a couple weeks ago, and they they were done back-to-back at Catholic Answers Studio there, live in San Diego. I want, and I feel it's necessary for Patreon patrons to understand the context of the debates, what happened there, what happened in, in, to some extent, in, in Trent's debrief, and just so so that everyone understands the import of issues like the death penalty and feminism according to the Catholic Magisterium. We are up against modernism in our times and we cannot suffer that the Catholic Magisterium is bent or massaged to look as if it it accommodates modernism at all. Now, with that said, I want to give big ups big salutation to Trent Horn for making what happened happen even if even if it was tense and I want to address some of the critiques that he addressed first off right out the out the gate he he made some particular claims in his debrief that you know they were a little defensive but I want to say thank you for inviting me because I was as far as I know the first person with traditionalist leanings to enter the doors of Catholic Answers their office there in El Cajon California in in years and I I don't mean that people with with private traditionalist leaning sensibilities are not welcome in Catholic Answers because that's not true some of the staff clearly has those uh, sensibilities what I mean is someone to be invited into Catholic Answers studio there in, in San Diego California and to walk in and be invited to speak and to be given a microphone to express what I was expressing about feminism, the death penalty, and the magisterium writ large. I'm genuinely, I think it was genuinely courageous for trying to invite me that way. So everyone, when you hear the fallout from something like our debates, it's a little contentious, it's adversarial, but one of the rules for retrogrades that will be released in my book is Never ever frag a fellow brother in Christ. You know, someone that's that's truly a fellow traveler. Never frag them. And when I, I'll be honest with you. When I began this debate, I think I said like Trent, me and you, we agree about stuff ninety nine percent. I did learn through the course of that that double dialogue. Still not sure whether it was a debate or a dialogue. I did learn that. There's there's more daylight between Trent's general worldview and mine than one percent, but it's it's enough of a, a concomitance between our worldviews. We're, we're brothers in Christ, and no one frag him. I, I'm I'm being serious. It's different with National Catholic Reporter. That's not they're not even fellow travelers. There's a distinction to be made. Retrogrades never frag fellow travelers, and. The, while there may be more of a difference between Trent Horn and Tim Gordon than I thought walking in there, more modernist sensibility than I suspected, he's still on the right side. The generally right side. we gotta got to be careful, and it's, it's worth making these distinctions. Distinctions within distinctions within distinctions. As you noticed, probably if you listen to particularly the feminism debate, that's how you get really... That's how you produce accurate and helpful um, outcomes and solutions to problems within the um, census fidelium, within the life of the church. Now, a little, a little bit of juicy detail. I, I interviewed, uh, I, I emailed Trent. was about a week before I traveled to San Diego and I did travel on a weekday after working and I took off a Wednesday and it was good. I showed my second daughter where she was born there in San Diego. We went to the the mountains east of the city in Alpine where I was in law school and where we lived, the apartment she was born into. It It was nice, but I got up on a Wednesday when I, you know, took the day off work, walked into Trent's home studio his home court, he had home court advantage and met all the good people there at Catholic Answers. And there was a, a buzz of speculation about the coming debates because it has never been done that someone from even as similar a place as Catholic Answers is with people of my traditionalist bent, it was, it's still disparate enough to make that in a relatively unprecedented historical thing. I mean, it's important to acknowledge the us, unprecedented nature of, of what happened there and I, I think a lot more of that needs to happen among people as far away as Catholic answers. They might be the the terminus of my of the extension of my invitation to, to dialogue with someone maybe that far away uh, from from my own position within the Francis pontificate. But but even if they're the, the furthest I'll go, we need to acknowledge that we're still brothers in Christ and we need to be dialoguing, never fragging. It's, 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 per, it's not personal, it's business. Just as they say in The Godfather. We need to be able to talk to one another's points of view and say, I think that's wrong, and, and still be friends afterwards. There's a lot of lip service paid to this particularly in con- traditionalist-leaning conservatism, noticing I'm not, I'm not identifying as a trad, I identify as a retrograde. You'll get more of that on Monday. What it doesn't mean to be retrograde. But there's not a lot of follow-through. There is a ton of fragging, and that's largely what our show is sets itself out as a corrective to. The the, the the destructive, petty, backbiting, nitpicking nonsense that goes on even with most people, uh, with people of a generally right-minded point of view, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. So, first off, this was supposed to be a book interview. That so, when, when you hear Trent on his debrief, which has been published after first being available to his patrons, it was a book interview. He's, he says himself, like, I contacted Tim because he did an interview with Matt Frad on his feminism book, co-authored with, with Dave Gordon which we nearly have in. By the way, our our Rules for Retrograde book is in to the publisher. Uh, Feminism book is nearly in, a good bit further along than in the summer when I traveled to Atlanta to interview with Matt. So it was posed maybe two degrees of separation away from being a book interview, an interview about an interview about a book. And I said, okay. So trans people are complaining a little bit after this debate That I spent more than half the time, easily more than half the time, speaking. That is the etiquette of an interview, guys. Does everyone understand that? I I, I have to defend myself there. This is not particularly problematic or or confrontational. He told me, well, let's approach it less like a debate, more like an interview. He was the host. I was being hosted. I was the interviewee. So that's why I spoke more than half the time. Secondly, it, it was a successful outing from my point of view. I think anyone that uh, approaches these double interviews, double dialogues, double debates, objectively and with a, a full heart will understand this was a successful outing from the perspective that what what I'm trying to do, what the Rules for Retrograde podcast is going to do, is cut away the nonsense, the backbiting, the personal the personalizing of the general, the particularizing of the axiomatic, and saying, well, this is my worldview, so I'm going to defend it. And just saying, look, this is what the church has taught on the death penalty and on feminism for, in the case of the death penalty, about 1,980 years until the pontificate of JP2. About the same amount of time, about 1,970 years, the church taught really clearly and univocally about feminism and on both well on feminism it's been a conspiracy of silence that lends the air of maybe a change uh, with regard to the death penalty it's not just a conspiracy of silence it's a conspiracy of overturning timeless perennial church teaching in season and out seating season which cannot be done so there's a distinction to be made but the magisteria is perfectly clear on both feminism. There is no Christian feminism, which I'll, I'll define as I did in the horn debates in a second. I'll, I'll recur to it. There is no overturning of the, the timeless Catholic teaching on the death penalty. I'd like to talk mainly about the feminism thing because it, it's so controversial. It gets people so worked up. It was a tortured exposition of Christian feminism, yes. But, and that's mainly because Trent was interrupting me so much uh, at the beginning. Uh, he became a hostile witness. I, now, I love the guy. Give the guy credit for having me out there. And I want to shake his hand. I want to have a beer with him. I, I think a devil's debate would be really good on this. Maybe live and in person, there'd be a great energy. Trent, we should do a doubles debate on this sometime in the next six months and follow up. But the, the exposition was clear when I was speaking. Your people were saying I talk too much or I'm cocky. I was confident because I know what the magisterium is. And I had a lot to say because I just wrote a book and you asked me to be interviewed on it. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me on. But right from the outset, I was interrupted five times within the first 12 or 13 minutes. And I knew that you were being more, you Trent, were being more aggressive than you are with atheists, right? Protestants who hate Catholics, liberal Catholics, you were being more aggressive with me because, as you said about halfway through the feminism talk, it was personal for you. It's business, not personal. Why was it so clear from my perspective? The first half was better because even though he interrupted more, he was more prepared to be a host. By the end, he was just quibbling and doing anything to obfuscate the point that the Catechism of Trent, which I read from, and I know it had to be a little annoying by hour two of this debate, I had to keep reading it because he kept using a a borderline slippery technique of just... Since we weren't reading this on the page like uh, Raymond Arroyo's World Over show, where you listen and you read at the same time, I was reading long uh, magisterial statements on feminism, and he would just say, well, so that's been abrogated. No, it hasn't. Show me where it's been abrogated. He couldn't do that. Um, Well, but that's not saying what you're saying it says. That's not saying that it's, you know... A sin or an abuse of you know the female vocation, the non-married, sorry, the non-ordained female vocation of marital life for a woman to work. That's really what this is about, isn't it? Feminism is really about women in the workplace. Point number three. I I, I like to make the analogies, and does everyone remember? In particular that office episode where Michael Scott unofficially tells the workers the blue-collar workers in the warehouse you can unionize he gives he gives a wink and a nod to it then afterwards he goes up and he has to deal with his boss Jan Levinson Gould who says you have to go tell them they can't unionize that's not allowed it will destroy the company and Michael says, well, this will be tremendously unpopular and difficult. How am I to do this? How can I go and undo my tacit acceptance of uh, unionization by our employees? She said, you're the boss. you got to say hard truths. This is our situation with regard to feminism in the church. For 1970 years, we had the Catechism of Trent, Arcanum, beautiful teachings from Scripture itself. Casti Canubi, the two social encyclicals that, that that socialists always try to point at, Rerum Novarum and Quadragesimo Moano, the things I kept reading and probably irritatingly rereading to to Trent, these all teach in one direction, and then starting in 1970, 1980, with the pontificate of John Paul II, who did do some good things, he opened the door by a conspiracy of silence to Christian feminism. And so now all I'm telling Trent is we have to be Jan Levinson-Gould and tell ourselves and other talking heads in Roman Catholicism in the Catholic world. Yeah, the last 40 years in the church, there's been a kind of silent nod. Women can go get jobs. That can be part of their vocation. There are multiple vocations. There aren't just sacramental vocations. All this stuff people got themselves hooked on jobs and on a second income and on um, a way of self-esteem that was not rightly, naturally supposed to be open. Women, what, what do you want to be? We're telling them from kindergarten onward, what do you want to be? And now we're saying, no, sorry, sorry. You know, honestly, John Paul II led you astray here, or, or at least tacitly allowed you to think that it was okay to take a path that is not allowed. There is no Christian feminism. And so we we have to be the Jan Levinson's gould to Michael Scott in the office and say, somehow we as Christians, particularly as talking heads, you know, over the last year, one thing that's been odd has been becoming a, a prominent talking head and face in Catholicism. It's our duty to teach clearly, to show what the church teaches clearly. We're not the magisterium ourselves the way the bishops are they're supposed to be speaking on their own behalf instead because we've been all but abandoned we are parish orphans so to speak the bishops will not correct errors that have been popularized like feminism or like the overturn of the death penalty it's fallen to lay people and i'm, I'm honored to fight for you all as a retrograde in the church as someone that in the last year even though i've been writing and speaking for 10 years i've become In terms of uh, Catholic laymen born after the year 1970 I've I've been honored to become one of the prominent voices in the English-speaking Catholic world in the West this is an honor but it's also a duty to speak clearly and this duty falls on Trent's shoulders too so when I cite from the Catechism of Trent which says women must love to stay home Mm -hmm. women should not be um, so eager to leave and they definitely can't leave for work Whatever the uncomfortable sayings are that are kind of surprising from my perspective as well, it's not like I was born with a catechism of in and, and we have to change our lives to accommodate doctrine. We do not accommodate uh, uh, the teachings of the church. We don't bend those to what our preferences or our way of life is, or our lifestyle accoutrements. That's all I was saying to Trent. He has a book, I believe, called Hard Sayings, and he, he I think he gets it but he doesn't want to get it. Also, he kept personalizing it. About halfway through our feminism debate, he said, well, it works fine for my house. Uh, this, this is personal for me. I said, look, leave that out of it, man. It's business, not personal. The church teaches ever so clearly, never abrogated, never trumped, never uh, made obsolete that, that men and women have radically different vocations. It's part of complementarity. It's why we go together so nicely. That was the difficulty that he was literally... That's when the interrupting began was from the very beginning when I started reading from the Catechism of Trent. He didn't want that to come out clearly and uh, uninterruptedly, unmitigatedly. Now, the first half was better even though he was interrupting then too because I got out more of what I had to say. The second half was almost pure redundancy Because he would say, well, I already said that's abrogated. That was just a a flat-out falsehood. That the teaching on Catholic feminism, that it's anathema, can have somehow been abrogated. Doctrine does not change. And I apologize to people out there if if you thought the second half was redundant. It really was. But it's my duty as a talking head, with all the justification I just gave the last minute or two, to when someone teaches a falsehood. To correct and say, no, nope, I'm going to reread the Catechism of Trent. Am I sick of it? Yes. Have I had to go to the bathroom because I've drank so much water in this four hours of debate where i was sitting in this less than perfectly comfortable chair? Yes. Am I? But but do I need to do this? Am I duty bound? Same thing with the death penalty. I had to do a, a good bit of repetition, but not as much as the death uh the, the feminism issue. It was more personal for Trent. Point number four. And therefore, he really came out swinging. Many people have commented on social media that he, he was swinging at me a lot more, interrupting a lot more than he ever did with an atheist or with an angry Protestant or a leftist Catholic. And we know why. He admitted that this was personal for him, not just business. And you, one ought never to let the personal influence business. But other people said this is a wreck. I, I thought it was successful because it was a big uh, megaphone. It was a big platform. Not necessarily my people, Catholic Answers, Trent Horn audience. Good people, but not necessarily my people who are hearing for the first time ever. Like, you can't have a job. You, you know, it might be a hard saying. That's what Catholicism is. Hard sayings of faith, like we consume the body, blood, soul, and divinity of the Savior, expiator Jesus Christ and hard sayings of morals. Faith and morals is what the deposit of faith is. It can never change. I'm coming to point, whatever it is, point five next. It can never change. And this era is marked by the overturn of Christian morals. The faith, we've already kind of, it's solidified. The Protestants don't accept all the hard sayings of faith. They would have been among the people that that left our Lord when he said, the the bread of life discourse. But that's kind of that's kind of cooled. The blood, the heat of the blood has cooled. No one argues in a sophisticated or a an impassioned way about this anymore because we all have our camp. Well if you don't believe in that, if you just write John chapter six out of the Bible, you're called a Protestant. If you're okay with it, then you're a Catholic or Orthodox and we have our own issues. But it's the moral theological issues of our day that are newly divisive, and Trent simply could not articulate without saying, the the next point that I'm going to get to, how the church has capitulated to culture, instead of making culture capitulate to it, on issues of feminism, the death penalty, without positing a tremendous coincidence, which I was trying to make more stark than perhaps I did. So this is just a coincidence that when the 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 secular humanist culture went full on feminist, 1960s, 1970s, the church happened to find some new teaching as well, like uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, but not. And that's, by the way, what I was even asking Trent, okay, produce this new document this new magisterial teaching, a lost book of scripture that said, by the way, you know when it says that women should submit in all things to their husbands, married women anyway, and should stay at home and make the, the house a home and make it lovely, and, and they're pretty much circumscribed by their offspring and their husband. They're the private, quiet voice of the man. He's the public face of the family. Well... We found a new Bible, uh, Bible book, and it says the exact opposite, and somehow we know that it's better, and it abrogates. There's nothing like that. There is no Dead Sea Scroll here. And Trent couldn't answer. It got uncomfortably quiet when I said, just show me where. This led him to point number six, saying that this is really the highlight of the interview, and it's not a good one for Trent. Everyone still give him credit. I'd be interested in following up on this as a Christian brother in another, maybe a devil's talk about this or something. Doctrine can change, he says. In the death penalty debate, he said intrinsic evil can be reversed, can be historically conditioned. This is Catholic 101. It's not a laughing matter. It's serious. It, it, It almost hurts when I went back and listened to those two debates to hear him say it. Doctrine cannot change. Look, I mean, the neocons, you know, the JP2 neocons, Trent's sort of a, a mouthpiece for them, uh, will will say doctrine can change. They're, they they flirt with treating doctrine just like discipline from, from the end that they can both change. No, doctrine can change. I'm sorry, discipline can change, doctrine cannot. Now, people who call themselves trads, I, I sometimes get into it with them because they flirt with saying that disciplines in the church cannot change which they can for the worse too meaning even liturgical forms and things like that they can change they just they can get worse they're worse and better that uh lyseity, as a matter of what what can be allowed and still valid but worse can dictate that that a uh, uh, practice in the church gets worse like tonsure which trent kept trying to analogize to. Well, what you do with your hair as a monk well if that can change can't uh, a timeless perennial teaching on morals no no this is Catholic relativism he was presenting so the trad sometimes I have issues with them they try to treat discipline like it's doctrine like it can't change and then the neocons like Trent Horn Catholic Answers say yeah discipline and doctrine are are, are similar they can both change so I'm kind of right in the middle I'm Catholic, you know? That's the other word for a retrograde, by the way. It's just a Roman Catholic. I don't I don't need some some tribe aside from a grouping principle. People want to know what is a retrograde. It's someone that can do what I'm doing. Be friends with everyone who truly believes this stuff. You know, neocons in the Novus Ordo church, trads, cuz these are all people of goodwill, but I want to take issue with what's wrong and what's right in all uh, of the the sets, so that we wind up with the most correct set. That's what a retrograde is. It's just a Roman Catholic. Doctrine cannot change. Discipline can. And when Trent said this, I, I nearly fell out of my chair. I'm not trying to be a ham. I'm an authentic guy. I didn't know what to say. I think I said, the, the second debate, when he repeated doctrine can change by articulating intrinsic evils can be historically conditioned and can reverse I, I I was just flabbergasted I'd been in the chair for three three and a half hours I think I said dude that's whack, bro that's whack and that's just me that that's the level of my exhaustion coming out and my moral and spiritual exhaustion hearing a good brother in Christ talking this way and he here's here's thought number seven uh, almost almost the closing thought I'll, I'll hit you with one more Fulton Sheen says, if you don't act as you believe, then you will soon believe as you act, right? It will change you. And I think almost seven years of this shamazonian pontificate, right? The, the, the patch of pontiff defending, carrying water for massaging Catholic doctrine for, and doing the, the ill biddings of the Francis pontificate has badly conditioned and habituated the approach to the world not just the church but to the world to natural law teachings that are really clear of of um certain good bro- otherwise good brothers and sisters in christ like like uh, trent who's a good guy i don't want people fragging him i don't want them talking smack that's petty nitpicky unprofessional stupid but we do need to say look this is wrong and this is why we are not as the protestants uh accused us for the last couple centuries we are not ultramontanists. we are not papalitrists when we have a, a pope that's bordering on heresy we have to say we have a pope that's bordering on heresy when we have a pope we might get there we might be getting there that's formally teaching heresy i'm not weighing in here but we have to say we have a pope that may be formally teaching heresy i i don't know if we're there yet but the point is that habits can be conditioned. That's, that's central to human life. And I made this point a couple times in a minor sort of underscored way when we were talking about the death penalty and about feminism with Trent. I said, this is, this is the instantiation of bad habit here, what's coming forth. Because I, I couldn't believe he said doctrine can change. It can't. Final point, he, he referenced the four magisterial levels. It sounds kind of technical. The top level is like... Uh, dogmatic definitions happening by an ex cathedra statement by a pope or by a council an ecumenical council and he said only that's really certain maybe level three doctrine but level two doctrine no and level one doctrine that that can that can always just uh, flip-flop wrong that's that's just dead wrong people have to understand he he cited Ludwig Ott and these four magisterial levels it is not an ontological distinction that the church teaches with. It is a, it is an epistemic distinction or a certainty distinction. There is a distinction of degree when you go from level 1 to level 2 to level 3 to level 4. These are rising expectations of certainty of the truth being announced by the church when you go from 1 to 2 to 3 to 4. They are not a graded, uh, increasing level of Truth contained by the statement. It just means we can depend more certainly on a level four teaching than a level one teaching. But lots of level one teachings are 100% true. Like, you know, patricide is wrong. Patricide has not been dogmatically declared as far as I know. I'm just picking, drawing this out of a hat. It's not been dogmatically declared at an ecumenical council or by a ex catheter statement by a pope. You know, it hasn't been anathematized, but we know that it's still, it's as wrong as anything that's been anathematized, as or more wrong. Patricite is really, really wrong. So there's a difference between an epistemic distinction, which is the correct way to view these four types of magisterial teachings, and an ontological or uh, alethic distinction, saying that well a level four has more truth in it than a level one dead wrong this i think is this understanding combined with the bad habituation of thought that having um uh, having to carry water for untruth for six or seven years does to your your habits this i think led trent to those those statements that are still hard for me to hear because i you know he's a good brother in christ sharp guy helped lots of people Uh, bringing them to Christ throughout the last decade. It's hard for me to sit there and listen to Trent Horn say something that is not Catholic, like doctrine can change, or intrinsic evil might even be able to flip-flop. The Lord loves the principle of non-contradiction. He is not a voluntarist God, which is the God of the Muslims. Straightforwardly, honestly, in, in all charity, what I would say to Trent is... Doctrine can never change and this is really important that people understand this. I'm sorry I had to be repetitive at the end and I'm being repetitive now in uh, Announcing my apology for the redundancy, but it's it's worth noting I felt it was a duty at that point to just hang on and every time he denied the teaching from the Roman catechism on duties of husbands and wives I had I had to repeat and, and dig in my heels even if it wasn't the best listening by minute 80. By the way, the two catechisms go together. We only have two universal catechisms. The Roman catechism weighs in on things that the, the 92 catechism does not. And it, they're all specific to what had been happening in the Protestant Reformation. Its attack on marriage as a worldly thing gave rise to the need for a new definition of the roles of men and women within marriage, which the Catechism of Trent beautifully does, not in florid language, but in clear language. Women should do this. Women should appreciate this sort of thing. They, you know, they should have this disposition as wives and mothers, which is why I'm saying, Trent, this is not a prudential exhortation by the Catechism of Trent. This is actually far deeper than that. It's telling women how they ought to feel about being home. So if you hear a woman who's been conditioned by bad habit, Um, because the church is really, it's largely the church's fault, has not taught the last 40 years that women do not need careers. Women shouldn't be training for careers unless it's an exigent situation, an emergency. They've been habituated to say things like, oh, I would be driven out of my mind if I had to stay home and, and just care for the kids. Well, we're not allowed to accept these sorts of things as, as Roman Catholics. And, um, Habit is really a remarkable thing as as uh, the philosopher Aristotle taught us. So these are my these are my basic thoughts to Trent. He's a good guy. I don't want people fragging him. I hope you watch both of these debates. I, they were not um, an S show or a, a, a tragedy or a train wreck. the way I heard some people saying it was a victory for clear articulation of the the Catholic point of view on both death penalty and feminism. It might have become repetitive at the end, but at least listen to the first hour of each one if you have a chance. Because I did, through all of Trent's, multiple interruptions. He didn't want me reading the magisteria on the death penalty or feminism. I got it out there, and I I dug in my heels, and I just kept reading my my little crib sheet because it's that important. When the church goes into a silent apostasy and refuses to teach... This is toxin, children. You can't drink it. Which is what's happened with feminism. All these people got hooked on their jobs and their second income. The church will not teach it. I guess the laity has risen up in the form of myself, my brother, writing this book, going on more mainstream shows like Matt Frads or or Trent Horns or hopefully someone else. Because I I like going on these mainstream shows. It's it's, uh, not preaching to the choir on that issue then it, it's, it's an opportunity to make uh, conversion from a lay point of view. I really appreciate everyone who took the time to watch these, I hope you do watch them. And I, I do want everyone to warmly congratulate Trent Horn on doing something, he, he had home court advantage, right? I went to his, I went to Great Western Forum as a Celtic in the 80s, and there was a big crowd around the booth of people that were were pumped up for this. They were were Catholic Answers people. Some of them were actually friendly, uh, very friendly to my point of view. All of them were friendly. But some of them were actually, I guess, rooting for me, as it were, if it were a debate. Trent was never perfectly clear whether it was or wasn't. And you know, it was, was nerve wracking to go into someone else's home home gym and uh, get things done. But that's certainly what happened. I was not being mean. If I was confident it wasn't cockiness, it was just that I knew that the Magisterium Holy Mother Church teaches on my side. I was only nervous that he wouldn't allow me to get it out, and I was surprised how aggressively he attempted to stop me from uh from so doing. And I, well, what else was the critique? Oh yeah, that, that, that he was, you know, that I spoke two thirds of the time and he spoke one third of the time. Well, he ca- characterized it to me as an interview, guys. He characterized it as a book interview. So normally in book interviews, it's like 90% of the time goes to the author guest and 10% of the time goes to the host who is not the author of the book. I kept saying this even in the first feminism talk. You told me this was like an interview, uh, not a debate. Let's do a friendly chat style, interview styled thing. I'm the expert. I spent the last year of my life writing this feminism book. So it makes sense. And it, it while it differed from my expectations and while I was shocked that he said doctrine can change, still congratulate him. It was an unprecedented thing. I was, as far as I know, the most traditional minded person that spoke into a microphone from Catholic Answer Studios there in El Cajon, California, in as long as I've, you know, kind of kept an ear and an eye on them. So, yeah, traditional-minded people have been in and out of those doors, but speaking into a mic, that that's relatively unprecedented. So we should commend him. It's always brave to go do a public debate, so everyone be... Decent, please be decent. It's business, not personal. Hopefully Trent will come around on these issues, but if he doesn't, you still be decent. He's a good guy, and we disagree with him about the death penalty. We disagree with him about feminism. We disagree with him about the, the pontificate and even you know what the Catholic Church, the Catholic Magisterium means over the last hundred years. But he's still faithful, and we're we're, we're still friends. And this is the retrograde way: is cutting out all the nonsense. Not speaking like bishops, where we we softball everything, that's out outsized and outmoded, but being decent, he's a good person. He's got a family. Um, it's always brave to go do a debate. Uh, one time, I heard Thomas Woods, who I admire a great amount, saying he, he'd had a, a, a one-off kind of. Uh, falling out with another Catholic thinker, I won't say who it is, and he was telling his people, like, be nice, be nice, don't cut some guy's book up and try to get it removed from the shelves of Barnes & Noble unless it's a really evil book. If it's another Catholic book in this time of uncertainty where no one's 100% sure what's going on, if he's a faithful Catholic, then, then you're, you're destroying like a year or two of this man's life if you burn all his books. That's why only people like the Nazis burn books. Because it takes a lot of time, wherewithal, capital, energy, opportunity cost away from the family to be in a a studio or a study like I am here in my house and to not play with my kids, not hug my wife, and to write a book, which is what I've done in the form of Rules for Retrogrades and No Christian Feminism. And if you destroy it or write it off without Paying attention to its valid arguments, whatever the invalid arguments are, it's, it's a form of character assassination. And that, that seems to be going around these days, character assassination. So this is a good man. We should have another one. I, I would like to invite Trent to do maybe a doubles debate on the same topic or topics soon, hopefully within six months. Anyway, I hope everyone's enjoyed this. I, I hope I've gone shorter than than Trent Horn's hour because I think that's too long for a debrief, but God bless you guys. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, be with us on the way. Everyone tune in to our debut Rules for Retrograde show on Monday, October the 28th, just in time for Halloween, 4.30pm. Be there, be square. It's going to be live. We're going to identify what a retrograde is, where we fit in. It's a Big group of people that will be uh, sympathetic to this and feel that their voice is being represented. And also we're going to talk about um, some details from the Amazonian Synod that that no one is talking about that got overlooked because there's so much nonsense. Pagan, modernist nonsense. Anyway, this time I'm really going to hit it. Thank you all very much and I will see you on Monday with Dave and Chris. Peace.